Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Welcome along to this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we'll take a closer look at the new iPads unveiled by Apple and examine what changes Netflix has made to its platform. The Chief Digital and Technology Officer at OnPost will explain that innovation at the company is continuing beyond the new digital stamp and will meet the recent graduate whose pandemic brainwave turned into a viable e-commerce business. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. But we're going to kick off with this. This is the all-new, completely redesigned, super versatile iPad. The new all-screen design comes in four gorgeous colors. Blue, pink, yellow, and silver. The stunning 10.9-inch liquid retina display extends right to the edges in a design that's nearly the same size as before. Yep, not long after the new iPhone lineup was unveiled, we have all new iPads. Vish Gain of Silicon Republic is with me now uh, to discuss. Vish, uh, talk us through what Apple unveiled earlier in the week. Yep, so um, it's just been a month since uh, Apple came out with the new uh, iPhone 14 um, and they already have new uh, developments. So the first thing... and. Perhaps the highlight of their new revelations is the iPad Pro. Um, And so the cool thing about the iPad Pro is that it comes with the M2 chip. Um, And essentially, for those who don't know, the M2 chip is the same chip that powers the MacBook, um, the latest MacBook Pro and the MacBook Air, um, which means that now an iPad is as powerful as, you know, Apple's best desktop computers, uh, personal computers. Um, And uh, it comes with loads of other improvements as well. So, for instance, uh, for the first time now, it also has ProRes, which is um, uh, a video quality uh, technology by Apple, which essentially makes um, videos and photography significantly better than uh, previous iPads. Um, And so uh, the new iPad Pro is available in two different models. One is the 11-inch model and the uh, 12.9-inch model. Um, And both of them, they're quite quite expensive, um, which is, I suppose, at this point unsurprising. Um, The 11-inch model comes in at... uh, uh, 1079 and uh, the 12.9 inch model comes in at 1479 which is uh, more expensive than most um, laptops yeah it is quite a significant cost but as you mentioned there they do have the m2 chip inside them they are rivaling the spec and they're superior to the spec that you'd get inside the average laptop have we clarified who the ipad pro is for is it to try and get people to move away from laptops or, you know, like who is the target audience with this? Who would pay that 1500 euro price tag? I don't think it would be in Apple's interest to get people to move away from, from the MacBooks and the MacBook Air because, I mean, they've invested loads of money in that and that is one of their flagship devices. So I think it's more of a... Apple would like to think of it as a, as a complementary uh, device. Um, so, I mean, for them, ide- what would be ideal is for you to use your um, laptops for work and then your iPad for a, a different kind of work or, you know, work on the go sort of. Um, um, it, it's primarily... Uh, aimed at designers and artists and and people like that who need the iPad to sort of um, 
you know, make designs on their on their computers, and it's hard to do that on a laptop. Um, and which is also why some of the differences between, say, a regular laptop and the iPad is, of course, the the the, the touch enable screen, but also the Apple Pencil. Um, one of the biggest upgrades for the new iPad Pro uh, announced this week is that the Apple Pencil can now not just uh, obviously like for a long time now it's been able to you've been able to use it to draw and paint on the screen, but you can also use it to hover over the screen, and um, it can detect the uh, the pencil up to twelve millimeters above the screen um now for most of us um, who are not you know usually uh, drawing or or, or sort of uh, designing and painting on the ipad that doesn't sound very exciting but for those uh uh, people who who do use them, um, iPads are very very popular amongst the designer community, and for them it's it's a big upgrade. But yeah, I'd say it's more of a they don't they definitely don't want the iPad to replace uh, uh their laptops. It's more they they for people who don't need a laptop they can use an iPad. So it's it's more um and in terms of functionality you can uh, use it on the go. You can use it. At, at home when you're sitting on the sofa without needing a big, you know, big keyboard if you're not into typing or emailing much. Um, but also in airplanes and in, in in meetings and stuff when you're when you're outside, um, it's much more handy to have an iPad in your hand than it is with a laptop. Um, but they, but they'd rather you have both. Yeah, well, of course they would. It is a good companion device. I would say that I've had an iPad Pro for review and it is so powerful, but there are certain functionalities, just the, the nature of the work that I do, I suppose, a laptop is better suited to me. But what I found is the iPad Air is a great companion device for me and I'm sure it is for you too because it's it's that bit smaller. It's great for taking notes with the Apple Pencil. Uh, it has that center stage functionality, which the new iPad uh, Pro does as well. But if you've never used an iPad Pro and if you're someone who does a lot of video calls or presentations from home or remote or you're just looking for an incredible webcam, I don't know what you think of it, but I think the center stage functionality on the iPad is superior to pretty much every other webcam I've ever tested. Yeah, and then the new iPad Pro, oh, and just as a disclosure, I actually don't use the iPad myself. Um, the only Apple product I use is the iPhone, but uh, for my PC, I usually prefer Windows, but that's just my personal uh, preference. Um, but in general, uh, the new iPad actually comes with a wide angle front camera, 12MP, which is you know even better than before, um, and it's great for video calls. And the back camera is also 12MP, um, um, which is also, you know, quite good, especially paired with ProRes. It, 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 it takes really high quality pictures. But I suppose one of the disappointments is that there actually hasn't been any improvement in um, uh, the iPad Pro cameras. Uh, so in all the announcements they made this week, they basically didn't address the camera at all um, and which essentially means that you know uh, they, the hardware is the same as the previous iPad Pro models um, but even then you know the fact that they didn't need to improve it means you know you don't it, don't fix what ain't broken I suppose mm-hmm. um, and so that that's what uh, they did they they think that it's it's good enough for now um, but but the but the other iPad the normal regular model the 599 uh, euro model that did have a certain very good improvements to their camera yeah talk a little bit about um what we got in that front because this was a great device again i don't see any flaws with any of the ipads that were on sale up until these ones became got unveiled to the world but the basic ipad i think is getting more and more attractive and more and more functionality added to it i I think it would cause people to to really have to find reasons to buy either the air or the pro because there's so much crammed into the basic model 
Absolutely, yeah. It's it's the same with the, the iPhones. If you think about it, like the regular models of the iPhones pretty much does everything that the Pro model does. The Pro is just a bit of a, you know, sometimes it's just a bit of a flex for most people, I suppose. And uh, uh, the, the number of people that would essentially need the added functionality that a Pro gives you are is like quite small. So it's it's mostly about whether you're willing to make that extra payment and if you think that it's worth the trade-off. Um, for the iPad uh, regular model, uh, I suppose the biggest thing to talk about that is the fact that it comes with a USB-C port and mm-hmm. Um, as you might know, Apple has uh, Apple wouldn't be very happy with the new EU decision to standardize um, universal chargers uh, by 2024. Um, and essentially, this might be seen as sort of a, a soft move by Apple to slowly start rolling out devices that have USB-C. Um, but the iPad Pro, I they didn't say anything about that having a USB-C, but the, the regular iPad model does have a USB-C port, um, which brings it in line with most other um, tablets uh, in, in the range. Um, and the other big thing is that it comes with the A14 Bionic chip. Now, <laughs> uh, the M2 obviously is the highlight of the new releases on the iPad, but the A14 is no less powerful. I mean, um, you know, it's it's still compared to most other iPad uh, uh, tablets in the same range as the iPad regular model. Um the iPad would have a far, far stronger performance because of the A14 Bionic chip. Yeah, the chipset is, I mean, it's more powerful than what you'd need if you just want an iPad to watch Netflix, send the odd email. Like that is more than powerful enough. I guess if you are a photographer who wants to edit images, if you're someone who is, as Vish said earlier on, very creative and using the iPad Pro uh, with sort of heavy duty programs, that's, I suppose, why you'd want the M2 chip. I know the previous iPad Pro did have USB-C, so I think bit by bit they are moving across to USB-C, which is great news for consumers. Um, I am excited to get my hands on these tablets. We will, of course, bring you full reviews here on Newstalk as soon as they land on my desk. But Vish, before I let you go, I want to talk briefly about some changes that Netflix has made to the platform. Um, We know that there was a lot of talk recently about the introduction of the ad-supported tier, but there's other changes being made as well. Yeah, so basically, long story short, Netflix hasn't had a great year so far until this week. Um, Netflix has been losing subscribers for a while. In the first uh, in the first quarter of this year, Netflix lost quite a few subscribers, and that would have been the first time it lost subscribers in its history. And then in the second quarter, again, because of increased competition from Disney Plus and, and, other, um, and Prime Video and other uh, streaming services, it ended up losing 1 million subscribers, which was a big hit um, uh, for Netflix. And that's when they sort of started... Uh, panicking about, you know, trying to make some changes with respect to how they uh, monetize their um, streaming service. And essentially what they found was that, um, so Netflix has a total of 223 million subscribers, but Netflix estimates that around 100 million of those aren't really, um, you know, directly paying for their their shared accounts and they're not directly paying. So Netflix isn't really making money as much as it should be making. So this week they came up with uh, two new updates. The first one they announced was the profile transfer option, which basically means that if you share an account with someone else, you can transfer your profile um, which has data such as personalized recommendations, such as, you know, even like if you have an image on that profile and, and name that, that can be transferred as well. But personalized recommendations, viewing history, um, uh, your your list, you know, the my list section on Netflix and all of these can be transferred to a new account, which then you can pay for. And this feature is, you know, when it came out on Monday, everyone was like, OK, so this is basically Netflix telling us that you need to kind of start um you need to stop sharing that account with your friend if you don't pay them or if Netflix doesn't actually get the extra money um, because you're not from the same household. And then on Tuesday, they had another um, 
announcement and this came with their um their third quarter earnings um and they said essentially that uh, they're going to start monetizing uh, shared accounts from next year um and they're trialing it at the minute in Latin America and the way they're going to monetize it is if you're not from the same household but have an account with like you know have a profile with uh, someone else then Netflix is going to charge you an extra amount um at the end of that month um i think i read somewhere that it's one fourth of the standard plan of Netflix so essentially if you're paying 12 euros for your Netflix plan and and someone else comes on and they're not from your household and they're using your Netflix account, that's a €3 Euro extra charge at the end of the month for you. Wonderful news. Uh, I would love to know what you think. Do you think this is a good idea? Would you be happy to pay that small amount extra on top of what you're already paying uh, to give someone access to a service that you're already paying for? You can email me techtalk at newstalk.com. Uh, there's plenty more we could talk about, but unfortunately we're up against the clock. Uh, Vishgain of Silicon Republic, as always, thanks for joining us here on News Talk. Absolutely. Thanks very much. Now, many of us picked up new hobbies during the pandemic, whether it was baking, painting or learning how to play chess. But how many of us set up a business that is continuing to grow? Well, that is exactly what my next guest did. Uh, Clara O'Leary is the founder of Carebox Collection and she joins me now. Clara, you're very welcome to the show. Can you just give us an introduction to your business? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on, Jess. So I founded Carebox Collection in October 2020. So it's definitely a pandemic business. And the idea behind it is to let our customers send meaningful, thoughtful and affordable gifts throughout Ireland, the UK and EU for our retail and corporate consumers. So we want to make sending a thoughtful gift really easy um, we have over 50 pre-curated boxes. You can choose from over 200 products when creating a custom care box. Um, and really, it, that's the basis behind the business. We want people to send a care box to show someone they care, but make it easy and affordable. And talk me through some of the steps involved in taking this from an idea to a reality. So there was actually quite a short window between concept and launch so I first had the idea in August of 2020 and very simply it came from me not being able to find something to send to my friend and I was 22 in an entry-level job so my budget wasn't huge and she was just going through a tough time I wanted to send something but I wasn't even really sure myself what that was so from there the concept behind what would subsequently become Carebox Collection came, I started researching products. I started looking at different options that were available and went from there. And then we launched the website in October of 2020. And how did you find, you know, the building of the website, the uh, design of the website, the ensuring that things were secure and correct and all that sort of stuff? Because there is a, a, a large body of work involved. Absolutely. I suppose I feel very fortunate to have started a company in an era where we have platforms like Shopify that really does make it very simple, regardless of how much previous knowledge you had. You don't have to be an expert web developer. So I made the website myself and it was very much DIY for the first kind of two months of the business and then launched Carebox Collection with photos, a website and a logo that I did on my own. Um, so I definitely feel very privileged to have grown up in an era where you can start a business with platforms like Canva as well and Shopify that make building that website so much easier. 
that's great that you that you were able to do that. So once you had your website, in terms of sourcing products, and what way? And again, I don't know anything about this side of things. But when you identified what you wanted to have in boxes or what you wanted to have access to to put in boxes, what did you do in terms of ordering and storage if that was applicable? And how did you ensure that you know you could deliver that good service to customers? So there was a couple of things that I did at the very outset of the company that I was really glad and subsequently meant growth was much easier to to achieve. So initially product sourcing, I I did a lot of our product sourcing in Ireland and a lot of our suppliers are still in Ireland. That a lot of that came out of the pandemic because for me, sourcing products within the country made lead times much quicker. People wanted to shop Irish and that meant that not only were they shopping Irish with us, but when they were adding five or six different products to a gift box, they were supporting five, six, seven different companies within the country and could go- grow that way. So a lot of our sourcing initially was from through Ireland. Um, and then from products thereafter, we just listened to the customers. We kept on asking for feedback on social media and through email about what they wanted to see us launch, what products they would love to be able to shop with us, what they were looking for and really grew from there. Um, in terms of storage and growth, I suppose I, I, we were quite lucky that we grew very, very quickly. So we had moved into a premises by December 2020 and have just last week moved into a bigger unit. So thankfully our, our growth in those initial couple of weeks and months made that possible and made having storage for our corporate orders much easier because that is definitely a component when you're initially starting out. Um, But yeah, so I I suppose there was a, a couple of things and then similarly partnering with a delivery company that could enable us to deliver next day across the country and within two days to the UK was really crucial because part of what we wanted to do was make shopping really easy for the customer and make it an efficient process so being able to shop on Carebox collection and have it delivered to your friend within a day or two was really important and thankfully it's something that we can still do and have done at the from the outset yeah absolutely and, and, and I think tapping into that you know support local buy Irish and all the rest it's such a clever thing and I was saying on a, a recent program when I was talking to Jenny Timoney of Fitpink that that is something that has lingered on post-pandemic you know I think people like any of my friends that I'm talking to when we're shopping online we always do try to support Irish businesses first and foremost Um, when you kind of had all of that in train how did you get the word out there because there are plenty of offerings out there there are companies um, that you know will put together little boxes and bits and pieces so how did you get to the point where you were growing at such a scale? Absolutely. So I must admit, one of the most crucial elements of our growth was SEO, so search engine optimization. It was something I had little experience in before, but in the industry of gifts, I suppose advertising on social media is brilliant when you want people to purchase for themselves. But when someone is looking for a gift, you need to catch them when they're already looking. So you can plant the seed and get your brand out there on social media, which is brilliant and build a community. But really initially for the company, it was making sure that we were capturing people who were already looking for gifts. So SEO on 
Google was really, really important and something I personally worked really hard on for those opening couple of months. And did you have a social media strategy or was it just because you knew and like the, the beauty of Google and the suite of tools that they offer to businesses is excellent. You can go in and you can see what kind of terms people are putting in. You can see what type, what parts of the country in particular are, are looking for certain things and how they phrase it. Uh, but did social media come into it as well? Absolutely. Um, I suppose, I, in my opinion, every e-commerce business should be on social media and Instagram and Facebook were definitely a huge part of spreading the word and showing our new products to existing customers, creating a community. And Carebox Collection has grown quite a bit through that. Um, and our, our rate of returning customers is really high as a result. But I suppose, like I said, that, that initial capturing customers while they're already looking for a gift was done through Google SEO. Yeah, it's very clever. Um, so you mentioned there you've moved into a bigger premises again, which is fantastic to hear. Um, what What's the next stage of the business and how are you going to continue to grow? I suppose we're now into October, so we're definitely focused on Q4 and Christmas and our corporate orders. So um, that that's the short term plan. We have collections launching and the subscription box service launching as well in the next couple of weeks. So but thereafter, um, at the moment, we are growing quite a bit throughout Europe. I suppose Brexit has posed a really great opportunity for a lot of Irish companies that products that may be available in the UK, suddenly people are very hesitant to purchase. They're not sure what import duties and customs are going to come with those purchases. So for both our corporate and retail customers, the EU has become a far more popular on our website we're seeing a lot more traffic coming from different countries throughout Europe so that's definitely a focus into 2023 and 2024 brilliant stuff well give us the website and how people can find you so you can find us at careboxcollection.com or at careboxcollection on Instagram and Facebook brilliant stuff well Cara O'Leary thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk thank you so much for having me Jess Coming up next here on News Talk, I'm going to leave the studio and head across to the GPO to meet the man leading innovation at Unpost. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Now, you may remember last week, Unpost unveiled its digital stamp. This is one of many innovations to come from Unpost in quite some time. I was eager to know more about the team leading this charge, so I left the News Talk office and I walked over to O'Connell Street to the GPO and I met Des Morley, who is the Chief Digital and Technology Officer at Unpost. We had a pretty wide-ranging conversation, but we started with that new announcement, the digital stamp. Well, Digital Stamp, I suppose, at its heart is the ability for customers to be able to post or mail an item within the Republic of Ireland without the need for a physical stamp. Um, it's enabled through the use of a 12-digit uh, verification code, uh, which is a, available from the OnPost app. So customers can go on to the OnPost app, they can complete the purchase of a digital stamp, and then they write that code onto an envelope. And essentially that uh, will act in the same way a physical stamp would work and that you post it into your post box and it'll come on through the network and be delivered out to the uh, recipient. Uh, and on the uh, receipt uh, at the recipient's address, you'll get a notification back to say that the, uh, that the item has been delivered. And although it seems quite simple an idea, I received a letter last week, uh, you know, with the 12 digit code up in the right hand corner. It was clearly legible. My address was clearly legible. 
Talk to me a little bit about what had to go into making this concept the one that you went for versus some of the other ideas that possibly may have cropped up over time. Sure. Well, I think one of the key things that we were hearing back from customers, um, a lot of the times having a stamp on them or the ability to get a stamp when they needed to post that particular item was a challenge. And so we were responding to the need of customers who um, maybe had put off sending that important birthday card or thank you card or important document or whatever it was because they just physically couldn't get a hold of a stamp. And so we've developed this technology um, first and foremost with the customer in mind and to make it as simple and as easy as possible. So the heart of this sort of whole program, convenience was very much the sort of the, the driving force. And so we made a journey uh, very easy through the app whereby customers can go in, they can select um, the, uh, the, the particular item that they want to send, whether it's a letter or postcard or, or, or a, large, a, large, a large envelope, um, choose what methods of communication they'd like to receive the notification back, so email by default, but SMS or text or, or, or through the push uh, notification of the app. Um, and then make the payment. And so we've developed out, um, obviously you can pay by card, but we've introduced Apple Pay and Google Pay through their journey as well. And so that really makes it very convenient for customers to, to do the checkout journey. On completion of that flow, then you get a very straightforward 12-digit uh, alphanumeric uh, code. And that code then can be written on the uh, on the envelope in the place where a physical stamp would ordinarily go. It's the top right-hand corner in, uh, in, in, in rows of three, um, sorry, three digits across and four rows. So once that comes into us then, um, we've developed our software, our uh, OCR software, to be able to interpret when a digital stamp is coming through the network. Now we're pretty used to handling stamps and barcoded items and all of our machines, our automation machines, can sort very quickly on those items. But recognizing a digital stamp was a bit of a game changer for us. So the ability to recognize handwritten text and convert that into electronic information that can validate the, the use of the code, the one-time code, was probably the game changer. That was the major kind of development that we had to do. Um, we then sort at that point, we get it down to individual root level, and when it goes out then for delivery, um, the post operators' um, uh, scanners are updated to then recognise the digital stamp and to scan the item at the point of delivery. And once that's completed, then the notification then is sent back up to us where we can notify the customer. And so that, that's probably been the major game changer. Um, but it's the convenience piece that was really at the heart of what we we're trying to, to do with this. Okay, so that's how it works. Can you take me a little bit behind the scenes and give a bit of insight into what went into making this possible? Sure. I mean, I think there's been a huge amount of effort has gone in right across uh, a number of elements to build up this particular um, solution. Um, first and foremost, you know, we've had a huge amount of help from a number of great partners along the program, All Human, Tapadu, Prime Vision, just to name a few. Um, the app development took quite a bit of work. We already had an on-post app, and so we had to sort of go back over that again and build some native journeys through that program and uh, cater for, as I said, very easy basket and, and, and payment selection processes and so on. The, the work that goes on then in terms of the sortation and, and so on, that took quite a bit of effort, and we've got some great teams that work both in our digital, our IT functions, and our product teams. Working hand in glove then with our, you know, our engineers and our postal operatives and postal operations folks to try and make this thing come to life. So both on the technical and on the physical and operational changes, um, there's been a massive amount of support from, from right across the organization. 
was the handwriting is the handwriting technology for the stamp the same as what's used on the envelopes to identify air codes and so on? Yeah, correct. Uh, obviously, the uh, the OCR technology that we have was already in place. And so when you've handwritten an envelope um, and you post it into the network, we can detect that, and we do that um, in, in very quick speed. And so we're able to detect most handwriting uh, for delivery address. What wasn't there before was the ability to recognise it uh, in in place of where a stamp would ordinarily be. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to develop that piece out to to cater for that. Um, and then obviously processes in place whereby, for example, if it's not legible or 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 for example, if there's an invalid code, whatever, how we handle those. And so we've developed all those processes to be able to handle um, um, all circumstances now. This is one of the many innovations that's happened in OnPost over the last number of years. Um, Earlier in the year, we were out at a sorting office and I got to see all the machines flying around. They deal with so many parcels every second, never mind every minute or every hour. How important is innovation to an organisation that is as old and as trusted and as valuable as OnPost? Yeah, correct. I mean, we're no different from any other organisation in that um, digital disruption has has taken place in our industry. And so we've taken very much a a forward kind of thinking step to it that we need to become a digital corporation. We need to think more like a digital organisation. We're seeing more and more digital players enter into our sector. And so we need to be essentially better than them at digital and so we recognize that right across the the uh, the organization be that in the in the sales cycle on mails and parcels in our financial services right the way down into our um, our distribution or logistics business both in the mails and on the parcel side that we needed a full you know route to branch um, review of all the technology that we use. We've introduced, as you say, lots of you know um, automation in order to cater for the volumes that go through. We, we, we can distribute anything upwards of 1.6 million mail items on any particular day. And so you need to have you know the automation and the machinery to be able to cater for that. Mm-hmm. And likewise, as you say, with parcels, packets and so on, that has exponentially grown over the last number of years and in particular since, since the pandemic. And so the volume of items that come through now, we need to be able to handle at such a speed that you know you need some very um, very high uh, fidelity technology to be able to cater for that, and of course all the logistics and the fulfilment elements that mm-hmm. go with that, and so our scanning technology, even down to postal operative, is all modernised, and so that all caters now for the full end-to-end journey. And so, what does uh, a postal operative have with them when they're on the bike, in the car, in the van, in the truck, whatever they're driving, to ensure that they are, you know? fulfilling all their duties I suppose but also optimising it so that you guys can get the data back and then rejig if you need to rejig All of the operatives carry with them uh, very modern scanning technology we've about 5,000 units out there in the field Um, we've recently upgraded them over the last sort of 18 months two years Um, so it informs all the operatives in terms of the items that they have with them um, which items they need to scan which items they you know if there's a barcode for example which items they need to to review Um, and it also determines what's on their route and so they'll know what's with them in any particular point in time so we've had to upgrade those to cater for that. Um, separate to that, as you say, you pointed, you're, you're right, the data that comes back from that is hugely valuable to us. And so we're constantly reviewing the data. In fact, we're, we've, we've just installed um, some fairly um, interesting technology now that looks at the whole route design and route generation modeling. Uh, previously, that took quite a lot of effort because there's so much data to gather, not just on the distribution and the delivery side of the house, but also on the collection side and various pieces like that. And so we've had to review all the technology that we use. We've completely 
completely um, revamped that now and we're in the process now of installing and, and running um, new route design software that will help us to sort of determine what's the optimum delivery routes for any particular uh, area. And so that's, uh, that's a fairly large piece of development for us. Mm. People may not think of OnPost as a data-driven business, but it is. When you look at the logistics that you're dealing with, there's a huge amount coming through. When you look at a calendar year, um, I'm sure you have spikes where you know it's going to be super busy. Do you make tweaks based on that or is everyone just mentally prepared to be very, very busy? No, we plan well in advance. In fact, um, we, we, we call it the peak period, you know, when we go through these large spikes, as you say, uh, they're well flagged in advance. We, we not only have lots of historical information in terms of uh, previous years, but also we get in, incoming information from all of our key clients. And so larger shippers, uh, your Amazons and, you know, booze of this world, um, they will let us know well in advance what their own sales projections are. And so from that, we're able to model where we think the, um, the main busy periods are, the busy locations and so on. Um, planning around that then becomes almost an exercise that starts, you know, six months in advance so that we're prepared for that. It allows us to think about not just the distribution side of it, but resourcing and various elements like that that we're able to uh, determine uh, and build proper modelling around that. And we're facing into the likes of Black Friday, Cyber Monday and obviously Christmas. Do bikes that are used for delivery get swapped out for vans? And is it that kind of uh, swapping that goes on in the background? Yeah, I think it's, we're, we've mostly vehicleized the, okay. uh, the the distribution network now. Um, in fact, we went through a full process there of um, reviewing all of our uh, fleet. And we've now actually moved mostly to electric vehicles, electric vehicles in all the major cities now in Dublin, so, uh, or in, in, across the country. Um, so we're... Um, we're, 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 we're delighted now that we have at least uh, the, 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 the distribution network now that can cater for that mix of mails and parcels because that was obviously not going to be possible mm-hmm. through the normal kind of old style of distribution. So uh, we've, we have a variety of different things like trikes and various things like that that, that are out there, um, but we've mostly sort of vehicleized where mm-hmm. we needed to now. How have the workers embraced this digitization and the new technology that they get equipped with, both people who are working in post offices and then the postal workers themselves? Very much so. I think it's been one of the kind of key cornerstones of our recent um, successes, to be honest with you. I think we've had huge support from um, from right across the staff, the, the, the staff side, the unions and so on, have been hugely uh, supportive of embracing this modernization that we've had to do. And... I think we all see the benefits of it and everyone understands that you know if you don't move faster than your competition then you're going to get left behind and so we've had to move at a pace that brings a lot of people with us and I suppose that's been somewhat of a challenge in trying to get that out to such a large network you, you referenced there both our retail and our postal distribution network we, we have over 900 retail outlets across the country so whenever you do anything in terms of a change obviously the, getting that rolled out obviously becomes a challenge um, but we've got all the processes in place now to be able to um, get the information out get the training done you know get the feedback which is hugely important we're constantly hearing back from our um, from our employees where tweaks need to be made where maybe we've done something that didn't quite work or didn't quite work for their customers and so we com- completely review that and we, and we change, change and tweak as we go but now the, the the staff side the people who who work in on post know the importance that they play within their communities we we all recognize that as core value of the brand um and so 
thankfully we've 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 had a huge amount of cooperation over the last number of years mm. one of the great things about uh, a lot of this technology as we've already mentioned is the data that comes back does that real-time data enable on post to be more agile as an organization so you can react so we're talking on one of the blusteriest days of the year now so if the weather gets so bad that it interrupts service or if there is a mail strike in another country that will delay stuff coming to here does that allow everybody further down the chain to react, adapt, and get things back on track? Yes, it does. And, and, and like any other utility, I suppose, across the country, we need to be mindful of you know changes in, in, in weather conditions and so on that can affect the distribution network, can affect retail um, opening and so on. So all that information is, 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 is coming back to us in real time. We also try to use that as much as we can to help our customers. And so, like, for example, one of, the, uh, one of the nice sort of solutions that we've come to market with now for, um, for parcel distribution and, and, and the like uh, is the ability for customers to dynamically change if they're not home. We've developed a solution called My Deliveries, which customers can go in and register for online. And when they do that, they're able to set um, their preferences, their delivery preferences with us. We'll know for future, for example, that if you're not home, where is your preferred location where you'd like to drop the item off? But also give customers the chance to redirect their mail. It's either come back another day or come back um, uh, or drop it to, to, to a different location um, in the same area. So we've brought in solutions like that, that, that then obviously once a customer's made that selection or fed back up to us, we're able to then get back out into the field and to, to, to be able to um, inform the, uh, the postal operatives. And they get that information coming through Mm-hmm. on their scan handheld devices. So a lot of change has happened in the last number of years alone. Um, are you excited and optimistic that there's more that can still come to, you know, not only deliver more efficiencies from a business point of view, but also continue to enhance that customer offering? Very much so. I mean, the customer is still going to be the primary driver of all the change that we're trying to, to implement because we know just how important that is. There's a huge amount that we still want to do. I mean, even just on the digital stamp alone, um, while it's a very clever solution, there is extensions around what we can do with that and building in, for example, maybe in the future, the capability to send items beyond Republic of Ireland, uh, for example. But right across the patch, um, there's lots of interesting ideas that we've got going on. We've developed out a number of innovative solutions. We're trialing a number of things. Um, we continually try to, you know, see if they're working. If they don't work, then, you know, you've, you know the term fail fast. You know, you learn quickly, you, you pivot and you move on. Um, and you learn a lot of things from trialing things with customers. And, you know, I think any of us that work now in the technology digital space, you know, you, you recognize that, Nearly everything's in beta. You know, you're 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 constantly developing something, knowing that there's another iteration, there's yet another enhancement that you need to do. And and, it, and already even the digital stamp has gone live. We've already seen some great opportunities from where we can try and tweak that. So um, so yeah, we're 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 constantly trying to innovate and build that out. And digital is a really good platform for that. Mm-hmm. You know, customers are giving you their feedback in real time. They're telling you without even talking to you about their usage, you know, in terms of what features work, what features don't work, what gets picked up, what doesn't get picked up. So we're always trying to listen to our customers and take that feedback to try and uh, try and steer our innovation program. That was Des Morley, the Chief Digital and Technology Officer at OnPost. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, we're going to find out about a new savings platform that's arrived to Ireland. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, a new savings platform has arrived to Ireland. It's called Trade Republic and the company's Irish country manager, Hugo Sagist, is with me now. Uh, Hugo, what is Trade Republic? 
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jess. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so Trade Republic is a investing platform. You can access Trade Republic via an app and a website. And it's really founded uh, based on a couple of observations. The, the world changed a lot over the last 30 years. Um, we see inflation really eating away people's purchasing power. We've seen um, pensions be relatively safe and sound before, but the OECD forecasts a 60% drop in purchasing power on average for Irish people once they reach their retirement age and housing prices have been growing through the roof. So in short, there's a really big need for building up your own capital to be able to retire or to be able to buy that house. Um, at the same time, the investing world is still very elitist, we think, very opaque. It's very expensive. People feel that they need to know a lot to start investing. And we really set out to, to prove and to show the contrary. So we're launching with a product that's extremely simple. You can automate your investments with us. You can literally set up uh, an investment plan that will run for 30 years for your retirement in five clicks. That's it. You don't need any financial knowledge beforehand. Um, and the costs are also super low. When you automate your investments, we charge zero euros. And when you don't, like when you do a one-off investment in, say, a stock like Apple, you pay one euro for a transaction, which is really um, very, very cheap compared to the existing offering. So we really hope to um, activate and to have a lot of people to start investing instead of saving on their bank account. Because with the current inflation, you only get poorer if you do that. Yeah, I think financial literacy and financial understanding are things that many of us have, I suppose, had to get better at, particularly as our bills and costs are going up. I think a lot of people want to know when they're putting their money somewhere that it is secure. Can you just address that side of things? Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in, in terms of uh, the security, that's, of course, super important and, and our first concern as well. We are regulated by the German regulator, which is a very, very sophisticated and serious regulator. And on the basis of that, we can offer our services in the rest of Europe as well. That also means that your cash account is protected up to 100,000 euros. And it also means that the shares that you will invest in are your property. So should anything ever happen to Trade Republic, um, it doesn't affect you. The shares will still be on your name, so you won't lose them ever. Uh, those are super important, I think, preconditions for security. Then a, a lot of people also worry about sort of the, the value of their investments going up and down. And, and of course, it's it's different from saving in terms of there is a bit more volatility. And that's and that's fair. There's, there's two things I'd love to, to share about that. Um, one is that the time horizon that you have in mind to investing is super important because if you, there's a lot of data on this. If you invest for one day, the chance on a positive return is literally 50%. So it's, it's like a coin toss. It's random. However, if you invest for one year, it already shoots up to 83%. And if you invest for 20 years, it shoots up to 100%. So in other words, if your horizon is long enough, um, it's very hard to not generate a positive return when investing. And that really, of course, aligns well with, with our vision of really making a big change to people's life and investing for retirement in particular. Um, and the second thing I'd like to say is that, yes, there is some volatility in terms of the value of your investments, but there's also a big risk of not investing. 
And that is inflation. And it's already quite painful to see that your shopping costs, for example, are going up with 10% or your energy bills are going up with much more. But if you um, take the long-term view on that, it gets worse. With the current level of inflation, the Irish will lose 60% of their purchasing power of their savings within 10 years. So in other words, if you have a thousand euros now, it will have the buying power of the equivalent of 400 euros 10 years from now. 20 years from now, it will have the buying power of 200 euros. So you really, really lose value fast. Although it might feel safer and more secure, um, it really isn't. So there's a big risk of not investing as well. Yeah, one question I know I always wonder when it comes to this type of conversation is how much is sufficient in terms of investing? Is it a case of only put in what you can afford to lose? Um, I think that's a that's a really important sort of base rule. Like, don't invest money that you will need, say, for the next year for just your your cost of living. Um, and it depends on your goals, and goals will be different um, for everyone. What we do tell people um, is that if you invest for your retirement, and if you look at the historic returns of the stock market, which is ten percent per year, you look at a retirement age of 66 um, and you're currently 30 years old, then you should invest 3% of your gross average salary to maintain the same salary after they retire. So in other words, maintain their level of spending power after they retire. So that's just one example. Not everybody will retire at 66 and is uh, 30, but but you can make those kinds of calculations. And with that, you get a really good sense of what you should put aside and invest as a percentage of your salary to be able to have the same um, standard of living when you retire. Because currently, the OECD predicts that on average, for the Irish, the purchasing power will decrease with 60%. So a massive drop because there's just not the level of pension guarantees that there used to be. So it's really important to start doing something yourself. And then depending on your age, depending on your assumption of the stock market, that could range from like one to 5% of your your gross um, yearly salary. In terms of longevity, if I'm retiring in 30 years and I want to tap out at that stage, I mean, will the company still be here? I know you said it's already guaranteed, but I guess people would just be curious about the long-term security of any investment they put in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, we are here to stay. Um, we're, we're a new company in Ireland, but we have been around for a while. We have well over a million customers. We manage more than six billion in euros in total. We're growing fast. We have a lot of big investors behind us. So we're already quite a sizable um, company. And um, of course, we'll, we'll be around 30 years, 40 years and much longer from now. Um, and there's a lot of regulatory scrutiny and a lot of regulatory control that also, of course, helps safeguards people investments with us and with, with other players as well. Hmm. Uh, again, if somebody is looking to get started, what mm-hmm. documentation do they need to provide and what checks do yep. individuals go through to utilize the platform? Yeah, great question. We made this as easy as possible. And at the same time, uh, we comply with all the regulations. So that means that when you download the app, um, you will have to scan your passport. So it makes, basically means make a photo of your passport and upload that. You'll have to scan your own face. So we make sure that it's actually you and not just someone with someone else's passport. You'll have to uh, insert some of your personal details uh, and your address. 
And with that, um, we take that information, we'll check that information, and then typically within a couple of minutes, we'll, we're able to confirm um, a new user's identity and you can start investing. Okay, great. So it is very straightforward. And are there nudges and guides to help people make those initial decisions of how much, where and what their money should be doing when it's on the platform? Yes, yeah, some, but not that many nudges. We don't um, we don't nudge people to invest more. We're very much about sort of long-term, relatively boring investing, but in a way that makes sense for people. We do guide people through picking an ETF. And an ETF is essentially an exchange-traded basket of shares. And it's a very good idea, especially for new investors, because you spread your risk and you also spread your rewards. And over time, if you if you spread out your investments, um, you'll typically have much less risk with the same return. So we really recommend doing that. And we help people pick the right ETF by guiding them through a little menu where they essentially give their preferences without having to know a lot about uh, finances or anything at all, really. But you can indicate, for example, I want to invest in Europe only, or I want to invest in the entire world. Um, I want to invest in certain sectors, or there are sectors that I do not want to invest because it doesn't align with my uh, with my convictions or where, where I want the world to go. Um, and then when you answer those questions, automatically we will show the ETFs that are most suited for you you can select them you can select the amount then you select the frequency and that's all you need to set up your investment plan for the next 30 years so we make it really easy and because we guide people through you don't need to know anything about tctfs or about those products you just need to know what you want and we'll do the rest great stuff well it's called trade republic and it's available now on both ios and android uh, hugo of trade republic thanks so much for joining us here on news talk thank you jess and that is all we have time for this week uh, i just want to let you know the competition winner last week we gave away a stunning samsung s95b oled tv and the winner of that tv is dave redmond from Cove County Cork. Dave, a huge congratulations. You correctly answered Heath Ledger, uh, who played the Joker in Batman. Uh, That TV will be on its way to you very, very shortly. Uh, A huge thanks to the folks at Samsung for giving us that prize. Uh, John Friday's up next here on News Talk with Screen Time. I will chat to you next week.